The peace of Christ be with you. As we settle into this place, give yourselves about three deep breaths to be drawn into the presence of the Spirit and held by this house of prayer. Friends, let us worship the living God. As you are able, please stand in body and faith for the call to worship. Welcome to this space, a house of prayer for all who seek God. We bring our whole selves, our convictions, and our questions. Welcome to this place where we are grounded in Christ. We come seeking to to bless the world. You may be seated. 
I want to welcome you to Westminster. It is good to be here worshiping with you. After worship, I invite you out to our patio area. There's coffee, tea, and snacks, and especially a chance to get to know each other just a little better. Speaking of getting to know each other during our offering, if you're sitting here in the center aisle, I invite you to take that pew pad, sign it, pass it down, pass it back. I invite you to look at the names on that pew pad and greet each other by name after worship. If you're visiting, it's also a great way for us to be able to connect with you later. So I invite you now to join with me in the community prayer that's printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. God, too great to fathom, too vast to contain with a single name, thank you for coming to us in ways we can grasp. Thank you for those who have helped us to know of you, to experience you, and to be in relationship with you. Help us to find blessing in the encounter with others who bring new perspectives. Forgive us for where we have wronged, for hurt we have caused, and for judgments we have cast. Grant us an attentiveness to what you are trying to do in our lives and in our life together, that we might be ever formed in your Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, in Christ, God has shown us the way into God's beloved community. And it's a community of mercy, of love, and of peace in which God is making all things new. So may each of you know God's forgiveness, God's reconciliation, and God's hope. Amen. Now I'd like to invite any of the children who are worshiping with us to come join me here at the front. Come on down. Hello, hello. It's good to see you all. Hello, come along. Have a seat. So I am curious. Oh, they're, they're still coming. Come on. We got it. I am curious um, how many of you started school last week. I think some of you did. Yeah, I got a few hands. All right. I'm curious how many of you are going to start school in the next couple of weeks. Probably the rest of you, right? Okay, good. All right, so that's, that's most of you, at least, up here. I'm curious out there how many of you either started school last week or are going to start in another couple weeks. Yeah, I see a lot of hands. Okay, good, good. I'm curious how many of you out there are teachers or principals or aides or bus drivers that are going to start working at school in the next week or have already started. Yeah, yeah, I see some of you there. Excellent. I'm curious how many of you out there, this is maybe my favorite question, 
are going to be teaching Sunday school in the coming year. Okay, there we go. I see some hands. Now, I have to tell all of you, my dream is for when I ask that question, like almost every hand to be raised. Okay, we're not there quite yet, but we're going to get there. But there were lots of hands, people who are going to be teaching you here at the church in the coming year. So this is the time of year where it's all about probably back to school. At least it's been in my house. I have a son who just started sixth grade last week, and it's all been about back to school, and it's very exciting and maybe a little nerve-wracking and maybe not so exciting for some people, but it's a big time of year, not only for the students, but for the teachers and everyone else who works in schools. So I thought because it's this time of year, it might be nice to have a blessing for all of you who are going back to school in whatever way you might be going back to school. So I want to offer a blessing to each one of you, to each one of you who raised your hands. And really, this is a blessing for us all because I bet in some way, everyone out there is supporting a student or a teacher in some way in your life. So I invite us to pray together this blessing. Before we do, you have a part. I almost forgot. So I'm going to say a line, and then I invite you to join with me and say, fill us with your wisdom, O God. Can we try that together? Fill us with your wisdom, O God. So I'll say a line of blessing, and then I invite us all to say that together, okay? Let us pray. Loving God, the source of all wisdom and knowledge, bless those who seek to learn and their teachers. Fill us with your wisdom, O God. We pray for students that you may grant them the gifts of wisdom and curiosity and understanding. Fill us with your wisdom, O God. We pray for teachers that they may share their knowledge with gentleness, patience, and joy. Fill us with your wisdom, O God. We pray for those who support the learning environment, teacher assistants, principals, counselors, coaches, office staff, tutors, cooks, custodians, nurses, bus drivers, crossing guards. Fill us with your wisdom, O God. We pray for parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, family and friends, and this church community that our faith and love may be an example always. Fill us with your wisdom, O God. O God, may every place of learning be a place of compassion, hope, and love. Amen. So blessings be upon each one of you in school and as you go out to Sunday school. I know some of you are just returning from summer or maybe haven't ever been here before, so I want to quickly tell you where you're going. If you're in middle school, Jeff is standing out there in a blue shirt. He is going to show you to the middle school classroom. If you're in third through fifth grade, I saw Nicole over there. Is she over there? Yep, yep, she's waving at you. She's going to get up. She's going to lead you to third and fifth grade, which is just in our big Finley Hall there. If you're in second grade and younger, I think I saw Fred sitting right there. He's going to lead you out across the playground to your room in second grade and younger. And if you're not sure where to go, you're confused, don't worry. We've got lots of adults up there who will help you figure out where to go. All right? Have fun in Sunday school. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere you may.
just a reminder, especially if you have kids in second grade and younger, we do ask that you go and pick them up from the preschool building. Again, it's just straight across the playground. So now we're at the time in our worship where we share with each other our joys and concerns, share that we may be in prayer with and for each other and for our community this week. So if you have something to share, I invite you to just raise your hand and let me know. Let us know. Bill, yeah, Bruce. Yeah, so Bruce offers prayers for the family and friends of John McCain. Absolutely. Others? Yeah, Janet. Amen. Prayers for the 529 children still separated from their parents. Judy. Prayers for brother-in-law facing treatment for colon cancer. Others? Yeah, Peter. So prayers for Peter and his family. His sister died this past week. He and Marilyn will be going to Idaho actually later today to be with family for a couple of days. Let's have a few moments in quiet, and then I'll lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So let us pray. Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people, and they're offered in the name of the one who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we
Thank you, Dominic. First scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 84, verses 1 to 12. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to you. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at the altars, O Lord of hosts, my King, my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs, the earth rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of the anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. This is holy wisdom, holy word. was at a gathering with church people last night when the news about John McCain broke. And it struck me that it's a rare death these days that hits a diverse room equally and with equal weight and reverence. And I've heard a number of people say, well, there won't be another one like that in light of our times. Tempting to feel that way. But, you know, I was seated here a couple of minutes ago during the children's moment, and when Bethany was doing that litany, there was a little blonde child I don't recognize, maybe two, and he was closest to my ear, and so the whole time all I heard was his little child voice saying, God, fill us with your wisdom. If we raise two-year-olds with that prayer, and 20-year-olds and 82-year-olds, don't be so sure there won't be another one. Don't be so sure you aren't the other one. The psalm talks about God's dwelling place, as does the second reading, which is King Solomon, king uh, leader, political leader, known for his wisdom, and he's speaking about the completion of the building of the temple. And the temple, as you know, was not simply a monument or a place where people would worship. It was seen in some ways as a dwelling place, literally, for God. So listen for what the Spirit is saying in these words and in my words. First Kings 8, selected verses. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even heaven 
And the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. Regard your servant's prayer and his plea, O Lord my God. Heeding the cry and the prayer that your servant prays to you today, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you said, my name shall be there, that you may heed the prayer that your servant prays toward this place. Hear the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Oh, hear in heaven your dwelling place, heed and forgive. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a distant land because of your name, for they shall hear of your great name, your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when a foreigner comes and prays toward this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all that the foreigner calls to you. So that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear or revere you, as do your people Israel, so that they may know that your name has been invoked on this house that I have built. Friends, this too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Now, if you've been here for any length of time, you might assume that I chose that passage because we're about to do a building project <laughs> after just having a very successful capital campaign raising effort. Uh, but you're wrong. I did not choose that. That was a lectionary passage. I mean, come on, if left up to me, I'd far prefer to talk about finding God in nature. Much easier sell, I will tell you. Uh, about encountering God out in the woods, or let's admit it, this is California. Where do we find God? On the beach. I'd rather talk about that, I suppose. And that's not a, a message out of sync with our tradition. In fact, there are deep roots of that in our tradition. Take, for example, the full passage from which the quote on your bulletin is excerpted from St. Catherine of Siena, who says this, it could be said that God's foot is so vast that this entire earth is but a field on his toe. That's kind of an interesting choice, actually. And all the forest in this world came from a single root of just a single hair of his. What then is not a sanctuary? Where then can I not kneel and pray at a shrine made holy by his presence? St. Catherine sees God everywhere. Oh, let's stick with that rather than building a building. Or take the legend of Kevin. I know you think that's a joke, but it's an actual legend. How many have heard of St. Kevin? Well, that's because I try things out on you. <laughs> that's my wife, if you're wondering why I'm, I'm going to stop. I like to think of Kevin as the Celtic St. Francis. And there's this wonderful legend about him. It's the holy season of Lent, a special time of prayer, and Kevin has gone off into the wilderness to sit in contemplation and prayer. And so he's in this small prayer hut. And while he's holding his hands out, outstretched, 
In through the window flies a blackbird. And he holds his hand so still and so lovingly that the blackbird lands on it. And not only that, he holds it so still with such endurance and love that the blackbird makes a nest upon it. So still and so strong that the blackbird lays an egg and the egg hatches and the little fledgling takes flight. Reminds me of that psalm, how lovely is your dwelling place, even the sparrows will find a home. And to this day in Ireland, when you find statues of St. Kevin, they are always including a hand outstretched with a blackbird in it. Now, in light of those delightful images, what fun is it to talk about building a temple? And more importantly, what use is it to us today here? I mean, we're told Solomon was revered for his wisdom. Did he really think he could build a house big enough for God and that God would dwell there? That it could contain God? Well, no. Solomon himself says that from the very beginning. He says, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. Well, then what is it, this temple? Is it really just a monument to Solomon's own name and his own grandeur? Well, no wrong again. Solomon says very clear that, that this will be a strong place for God's name to be on display. Now, let's not get confused about what strength means in this setting. I think often when we think of the temple, we picture a fortress. And to be sure, churches throughout the eons that may trace their heritage back there built themselves as fortresses against the outside world on some level, for better or worse, but make no mistake, the temple is not simply established to draw lines between insiders and outsiders to protect those on the inside, though that would have been understandable for a small minority religion, one often under threat, but that's not the only purpose of it. Did you notice what happened in the second part of that passage if you were still listening by that point. It's something remarkable. Solomon is praying to God. And Solomon says, when the foreigner comes, and they will come because they will hear of the greatness of your name, not only will we let them in, but God, when they pray to you, listen to what they pray and do what they ask. Now, I can't overstate the significance of that gesture of outstretched hands. Maybe that's where Kevin got the image. Maybe to us, it's not that impressive. But remember who these people were, a small group whose identity was not defined by creedal affirmation or by some set of shared affinities. What defined those people? Blood. This was an ethnic identity. To let in the outsider is to open yourself up to losing your very identity. It is the ultimate act of vulnerability. That's how a people go away. And they said, come in. And God, listen to what they ask you. 
because they've come because they've heard of your greatness. Wow. For many people and many groups of people, that challenge of openness is the one they need to hear. It's not yours, I don't think. It's part of what I love about you and what I treasure about being here is that you all are people who pride themselves on openness. And oh, sure, I'm sure we get it wrong sometimes and could grow. But at least we strive to being open to different ways of doing things, different ways of thinking about things. Hopefully we don't force you into some kind of rigid structure that's oppressive. I'm not sure it's our challenge. So then what is the challenge of a passage like that for us today here in this place? If it's not openness or freedom, hopefully, which we experience in great measure. Another way of asking it is what's the complement of, of openness or freedom? I don't think it's closedness or closed-mindedness. I don't want us to lean toward that. I think the complement of freedom is form. Freedom and form, they go together. Think of the importance of form. I mean, just think of a temple, for example. Uh, it's just a field unless you have some walls and a foundation and some hallways and some direction. And those uh, defining characteristics help shape the behavior that happens within. You need a roof and you need, a, you know, you can only build a doorway if you have some structure. So obviously form, you know, has a role in building a building. But I think the temple for us becomes a metaphor for our faith and actually for all of our relationships, but certainly our relationship with God. We know the good piece of freedom, having room to explore and ask questions and imagine and wonder. But if you have all freedom... You don't have anarchy, that's melodramatic. But even worse, you have lack of substance. You have nothing that grounds you, nothing that calls you in to some way of being. Form does that. In the tradition, form comes in the form of our stories and teachings, our practices, a way of being, all of which you get reformed over time. Our commitments, our shared values, the way we order ourselves, that goes hand in hand with the freedom. Now, too much of that form, you've probably tasted, and perhaps some of you have fled, and that's why you're here, comes in the form of rigidity, uh, even oppression, of giving you no room to explore or think for yourself or behave, and that's spiritual death, if not other kinds of death. So these two go together in our relationship with God, in any relationship we have. Name a marriage or a friendship or a parent-child relationship that succeeds if it's just everything, anything goes. Or if it's so rigid, there's no room for actual life. So the two come together. And the question I have is we begin a new program here. The school starts for the children and our program year kicks in is what will we do and what will you do to do construction on your form this year? What pieces need shoring up? Could it be, uh, uh, let's see, the uh, study of scripture 
or theology or parts of the tradition that, that offer great wisdom, as strange and mysterious as it can be. I mean, the Bible is this wonderful but really weird library of letters and stories and teachings and songs. It takes work for that to take shape in any meaningful way. Or could it be prayer? Which isn't just, dear God, uh, thank you for this, could you give me that? But is this broad field of connecting to that which is deeper and that which is beyond and yet somehow that which is also within. Or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's service. Giving yourself to something that's bigger than you, that doesn't just benefit you. And this is the faithful part. Reflecting enough to notice what part of your soul gets affirmed by that. It's important work. You know, the deepest people I've met, including people who do a lot in the interfaith world, are not those who spread themselves really thin and picking from spirituality like a smorgasbord. They're the people who go really deep and get grounded in their own tradition. And that's the solid place from which they reach out to engage the other. You can't build a good open door without a solid door frame, so to speak. And look at what it did for Kevin and for St. Catherine. It wasn't just the open window that gave the bird a place. The open window invited the bird in. It was the form of Kevin's hand that held it. And the determination behind it, that commitment to compassion that would endure holding your hand out for how long would that take? A month? Two months? Right? It was the form that gave that its power, that welcoming invitation. In St. Catherine, who can name the presence of the ever-living God in everything, in all of creation, who gave her the language? Who gave her the form? She uses the language of the tradition that all the world is what? A sanctuary. Form and freedom go together. One of the saddest recurring experiences I have doing this kind of work is when we're in an interfaith context. And routinely, when that's the case, the Protestants in the room know the least about their tradition. Now, this is not a feel guilty type moment. This is not me saying that's what you get when you choose sports over church. Um, we're about to enter that phase. There may be all kinds of reasons for that reality. For one, we don't have parochial schools the way many of our sister traditions do. We're also not a minority re religion that's under threat. And so maybe there isn't quite the urgency to, to really to take to it and study it and make sure we preserve it lest we lose it because there's not much external threat to that. I don't care the reason, but I do care about investing in that important structural work that our openness might actually mean something. That we might have two-year-olds who know what to pray Thinking of him and thinking of them, one of the reasons I'm very excited for this year is this new program we're doing called Sacred Stories. A number of you have been trained in it. It's happening right now across the hallway. It's a wonderful way 
to get the tradition inside our young people without shoving Bible stories down their throat or telling them what to think and how to act and what they must do or, or else. No, 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 it's none of that. It's more like drilling down deep and filling up a reservoir from which they can draw. And so our sacred stories works by taking these simple wooden figures and over an overlay of felt or sand and teaching them the stories and inviting them to inhabit the stories and have artistic reflection. It's this perfect marriage of freedom to explore and form and substance. Our sacred stories is derived from a program that a lot of churches use called Godly Play. And I love some of the principles that they espouse. There's a write-up somewhere that expresses the list of things that Sacred Stories wants all the children to hear when they enter the space, which is very uh, uh, purposely laid out, by the way. They want it to hear it in the way the space is laid out and the lesson is conducted and the way they are invited. And this is what they want everybody who encounters that to hear. We welcome you. We value you. We love you. We respect you. We honor you just the way you are. Do you hear all openness? It's all openness. You are capable. You are our primary concern during this time. And we trust you to make choices. Openness. This is a safe place to wonder and to find meaning. The community is important and will be supported. Now you see the form coming in. We will set clear limits and expectations. You see the structure holding the freedom in place. This is a place of imagining more openness. A different language is spoken here. We're going to give you some tools and structure to use for your exploring. The stories have value. What we're teaching you is precious. And you can use the stories to make meaning, form, and freedom in one phrase. We love God, the ultimate foundation, structure. And God is present in this place. Did you catch that? That wonderful interplay of a freedom in the midst of form, having a lot of room to explore, but a solid foundation from which to set out. I think there's this misconception that if we just water down our tradition enough, then it will be palatable for others to come in and enjoy. Well, uh, first of all, uh, I have no interest in attracting people to come in and enjoy it for the sake of our own ego or our own sense of worth or accomplishment. Frankly, I have no interest in doing that for the sake of our budget, though it would help. Because there's no integrity in that. But I have a great interest in attracting people to come because of the joy of being in community in Christ with more and more people. Because like Solomon, we recognize that people might come here not just to experience the goods and to get them, if they could find them here, but because they come bearing goodness imprinted on their soul. And I want a taste of that. And if I have something to offer them, then all the better. And we better have something to offer them because if we just water it down, as Ted Scott would say, we just have weak tea. Which is about as bad as our coffee. 
It does, sorry, I said. It doesn't fill us up. It's not worth offering anyone else. So open doors are fine, but what are they going to find when they come in? It takes all of us to do that work. If it's not all of us, all we are is a lecture series or a social club. Rin's got plenty of both, so we don't have to waste our time. What's our unique gift to offer the world? The answer to that is pretty easy. It's Jesus Christ. But a particular way of understanding Jesus Christ. I'm often asked what my vision is for this place. And I realized during a retreat of the elders a week ago, it's really very simple. My vision is simply that we would be a fresh expression of Christ in this part of the world. Oh, it sounds too simple to be true. A fresh expression of Christ. But think about it. We all know what a tiring expression of Christ looks like. Some of us have fled that. One that just wears us out and turns us off and turns us away. Many people associate Christians with hypocrisy, with being judgmental of people in this life and damning them to hell in the next, of being hateful. That's what most of the world actually thinks of us, if you don't know. But what would a fresh expression look like? It would be one grounded in the reality that we know that the true Jesus came to call people back to integrity. The integrity of their faith and the integrity of their lives. Not perfection, integrity, which includes owning up when you're wrong. That the true Jesus came not to judge people, not to condemn people, but to forgive them. To call them back into account, into new life. Into new life now and forever. Now that's something people are yearning to encounter. Oh, I know we've been told nobody's looking for it here, but it's a lie. The data says that there are thousands of people in walking distance of us right now. Uh, Comfortable shoes, I would say. Uh, Maybe slightly in shape, but still within walking distance of us who are searching for a spiritual community because they've been looking and they haven't found it. And the question is, when they come here, if we invite them here, what will they find? Will they find an authentic community? Will they find a community that's grounded in Christ and open and free? Will they find that marriage that I think everybody on one level is seeking because that's the gift that we've been given and that we've been entrusted with? And that's the best gift in the world to have and to get to share with people and to grow into. But we have to put in our work. Church took a trip to the shore. That's what they call the coast back east. And it was a youth trip. One of the adult leaders who went had to bring their younger child. Their older sibling was part of the youth group and they needed to bring their younger child. And so while the teenagers were off doing whatever teenagers do that most people don't want to know about, this parent was watching their small child play in the sand. I mean, that's what it looked like at first. But pretty quickly, it was clear that something else was taking shape. You see, that child had been through a version of the Sacred Stories program at their church. And she'd taken some makeshift makeshift figures 
and was using the sand as a scene and the mother watching gasped as she realized that the little child was reenacting and telling the story of Jesus' resurrection. If we don't teach them, if we don't give them the tools and the language, if we don't give that to each other and to ourselves, as we undertake our building project up here, if we don't take it in here and in here, how will they and how will we know how to understand and talk about and experience the God that we meet in the church, on the street, and even on the beach. Amen.
You may be seated. I invite you to take a look at the announcements in the bulletin as the fall approaches. We have lots of various activities and classes and events happening and I invite you to take advantage of what is going on here in the life of the church. Um, after worship today, we have some special guest speakers. In fact, would you guys mind standing up back there? Yep. So we have two visitors with us, um, both who work at the Canal Alliance. It's Fernando and Lauren. Thank you for being with us. You can sit down. I won't embarrass you further. Um, But they're going to be with us um, after worship in Finley Hall um, to share with us about what the Canal Alliance is doing. Um, You know, our congregation is in long-term discussion about immigration and what's happening in our country around immigration. And so they're here to um, give us some more information about that, answer questions. So I do invite you to come be with Fernando and Lauren after worship. Uh, We have an amazing worker in our nursery. Her name's Muha Bear. She's been with us I don't even know how many years, a very, very long time. She's going on vacation for a month, which is great for her and bad for us <laughs> uh, because she's here every Sunday. And so um, in the month of September, we're looking for people who just love to be with little children who might spend an hour or two on a Sunday morning in our nursery. Um, if that is of interest for you one Sunday, let us know. We want to send Muhaber off on her vacation, but make sure our young children are still well cared for. Again, take a look at all that's happening, a lot happening in the life of the church. And now I invite you to stand as you are comfortable for our closing hymn. It is number 366.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day, be with you every day. Amen. Amen.